your Bible, I want to invite you to go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and 2 this morning. Today we celebrate as the church Pentecost Sunday. I will explain a little bit more about that in just a moment. But I want us to read about the great day of Pentecost that was recorded here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father, for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And now chapter 2 and verse 1. Then the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity and privilege we have to be in the house of prayer. We thank you that you have heard our prayers and we ask now that you will give us a sensitivity uh, in our inner man to hear your voice and the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to our lives and our hearts. We ask on this Pentecost Sunday that you would renew in us and in every listening heart a desire for the power of Pentecost to be resident in each one of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to speak this morning on seven works of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want us to uh, study these seven things. We'll go through most of them very quickly. So take some notes if you can. First of all, I want to explain what we are talking about when we refer to Pentecost Sunday. In the ancient uh, nation of Israel, God instituted a spiritual calendar the Jewish people, and it was marked by seven feasts that were celebrated throughout the year. The first of those feasts was the Feast of Passover, and that is what we uh, traditionally uh, celebrate as Easter. The Passover was a commemoration of the way that God delivered Israel by bringing them out of Egypt through the miraculous deliverance after he had slayed the firstborn sons of Egypt. And Israel came out with many possessions. And so every year, uh, just as we celebrate Easter, they celebrate Passover. And this uh, Passover feast was a type or a shadow of a thing, an event that was to come in history, which would be even greater than the deliverance of the nation of Israel from bondage. And it would be greater than the Exodus. This would be the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would become our Passover lamb. And then in that Passover, his death would become for us deliverance from death, from sin, and from the wrath of God. And so we celebrate each year the Passover, and we remember the fact that Jesus Christ, our Passover, has been slain. The Bible tells us then that when they had left Egypt, they journeyed to Sinai. That mountain where Moses had met with God previously. And on Mount Sinai, God appeared uh, uh, once again in that mountain in a miraculous way. There was thunder and lightning and, and smoke and fire up on that mountain when the presence of God came down on the mountain. And the people were afraid to go and meet with God. So they told Moses, you go up for us. And Moses went up and Uh, He was there in the presence of the Lord and he received the Ten Commandments as well as 613 other commandments which we call the Law of Moses or the Law of God. When Moses came down, he came down 50 days after the Passover. And so the Feast of Pentecost 
is the feast celebrated 50 days after the Passover. And it is the, uh, the feast that celebrates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Well, of course, you remember uh, what happened on the first Passover, or part on the first Pentecost. When Moses came off of the mountain, what he saw was not a pious people praying and waiting for God, but rather he saw the multitude of people had created a golden calf, and they were worshiping it, and they were dancing and, and carrying on around the calf and having an immoral orgy in the uh, worship of this calf. And so you can imagine the, the fury of, of Pastor Moses when he saw that congregation doing this, uh, not 50 days after they had seen God deliver them out of bondage. So he dropped or he threw down the tablets of stone and he, he broke those tablets of stone in his anger. And he came down and he, he, he gave a command or an, he issued an invitation and he said, who is on the Lord's side? The Levites stood up and said, we are on the Lord's side. And so Moses told the Levites, take your dagger and your sword and each man kill his brother. And they executed that day 3,000 people. The first Pentecost was marked by the death of 3,000 people. Now we fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus died during the feast of Passover. And Christ, our Passover, has been slain. But he has also been raised from the dead. Say amen, somebody. And he was on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection. During that time, he met with the disciples in various ways. And he ate with them. And he taught them. And the Bible says that on the 40th day after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. But before he did that, he said to them, wait in Jerusalem. And don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And so for 10 days that early church waited for the promise of the Father. They weren't real sure what that meant. They, they knew that a baptism was coming. They knew that this would be a spiritual encounter with the living God. And so they waited. They waited for 10 days. And on the 50th day after the, uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ... They were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. They were celebrating the giving of the law. And the Bible said that suddenly the place where they were, which many believe was the upper room. I personally believe that the place where they were was the courts of the temple. And so the place where they were, the Bible said, was filled with a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And the Holy Spirit was given to the church as a mighty gift of God's grace, and the church was born on Pentecost Sunday, and it experienced the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues, and they began to prophesy, and then Moses got up, pardon not, Peter got up to preach. And when Peter began to preach, the Bible says that 3,000 souls were saved. Now, don't miss the parallel there because this is a clear uh, s uh, s sign of what God wants us to see in these two stories. The first Pentecost, 3,000 people died. The, uh, the day of Pentecost, which birthed the church, 3,000 people came to life. Because the Bible says that the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, you and I are living today in the age of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives life. Say amen, somebody. And the church was born on the day of Pentecost. So right now, uh, today is the birthday of the church. A day when God put into man the power of his spirit so that it could carry out the function of, its, uh, of, uh, of his son on the earth. The church is the body of Christ. The church is God's anointed institution for the preaching and proclamation of the gospel until Jesus comes. And so he said to them, wait for the promise of the Father. And so that promise was the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the believer. But in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit comes within the believer. And there are seven works that the Holy Spirit does, which I want you to be aware of, and which I pray you will invite into your life each day of your life. Here's work number one. 
the Holy Spirit brings conviction to the human life. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16, verse 7 through 11, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. That's Jesus talking. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. There we see the first work of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction, to reprove the world. You see, man is born in sin. And uh, the Bible teaches us that a man's conscience can be seared. That if a person lives long enough in sin, that they uh, can start to think that their sin is okay. That what's right is actually wrong. And that what is wrong is actually right. And you and I are living in a day where man's conscience is more and more hardened and more and more seared against the truth of the word of God. And we see a culture around us that approves of what God disapproves of and calls sin good. But God has sent His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's first function in the life of the believer or the life of a man or woman is to bring conviction. To tell us, hey, this is not pleasing to God. This is wrong or right in the eyes of the Lord. And you say, well, pastor, isn't my conscience good enough for that? Well, I just explained to you that your conscience can fail you. But the Holy Spirit will never fail you. You see, you can train your conscience to approve of sin. But you can't train the Holy Spirit. And He will always remind you of what is right and what is wrong. And convict you of what is right and what is, uh, what is approved of by God. Now this you might say, Pastor, that doesn't sound like a tremendous gift to me. I don't like being convicted. Uh, but I want you to understand that conviction is a precious gift that God has given to you. Because without it, you and I would never have come to repentance. You and I would never have understood our need for God, our need for Christ, our need for God's forgiveness. But a day came when the Holy Spirit convicted us of sin. And we realize, I need a Savior. I need to be cleansed. I need to be renewed. And because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, our heart was opened up to the gospel, and we repented. If that's you, say amen. So this is a tremendous gift that God has given to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin so that you can repent. But He'll also convict you of sin as you walk the Christian life. So that you can walk with God. And stay in the path of righteousness. Now the enemy, the devil, has a counterfeit. And the devil's counterfeit is uh, similar to conviction. But actually, it's completely different. The devil's counterfeit is condemnation. The devil uses condemnation in the same way that the Holy Spirit uses conviction. Except with a different goal. The devil will tell you about your sin. But he does so in order to push you away from God. In order to make you feel unworthy. In order to make you feel guilty. He'll remind you of your sin. He'll tell you about how you failed. He'll tell you about how uh, you're not worthy. And many times when people come under condemnation, they stop coming to church. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying because they believe the lie that God does not have an interest in them because of their past failures or their sins. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, however, always draws you closer to God. It gives you a desire to get that sin out of the way so that you can serve the living God. And I want you to be aware of the difference this morning. Because if you're under condemnation this morning, if you feel uh, like God is against you, like God is angry with you, I want you to know the Bible says there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. You have been freed from condemnation. And, And the Holy Spirit doesn't come to remind you of past sin. He comes to quicken you about present sin in your life undealt with sin. But once you deal with the sin in your life, the Holy Spirit will never bring it up again. Say amen, somebody. Isn't that good to know that when you come to Christ, 
and you are washed in the blood of Jesus, and your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit doesn't remind you about it. He doesn't bring it back to your memory. It is gone. The Bible said it's been buried in the deepest part of the sea, never to be remembered against you again. That's the gift of God's saving grace. Come on, somebody. And you ought to uh, be delighted to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit because he will he'll convict you of present sin in your life, and then once it's dealt with, it's out of your life. The devil will, con- will condemn you about past sin in your life, and he won't let you forget it. But I want you to know that if you'll walk with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you power over condemnation, and you will be able to walk free and, and, and know that there is nothing against you as far as God is concerned, because if it's under the blood, it's dealt with and it's done. Hallelujah. Say amen, somebody. That's the work and power of the Holy Spirit, bringing the administration of God's grace into your life. And so you might be going through your day and you said something. You might have said something that wasn't necessarily sinful. Maybe it wasn't gossip. But you said, uh, you know what? I don't believe uh, that God is going to help me. Or I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of that. He said, that's not the word of the Lord. That's not how you as a child of God should think. Or maybe it was gossip. And, and maybe it was something that, that you heard and then you, you were tempted to share it with somebody else. And just about that time, the Holy Spirit said, no, nope, that's not, that's not God's word. You leave that in the trash. That doesn't belong to you. And He's keeping you out of trouble. Come on, some of you need somebody to keep you out of trouble. Guess what? His name is the Holy Spirit. And He's come to keep you out of sin, out of bondage, and out of darkness so that you can walk in the newness of life. Here's work number two. The second work of the Holy Spirit is regeneration. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Say that out loud with me. I must be born again. The human spirit is separated from God because of sin. And the, the inner man must be born again. Now Jesus said these words to a religious a leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew the word of God. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the 70 leaders or rulers of Israel, which means he was a righteous man. He was a good man. And he had a lot of things going for him. But Jesus didn't make any mind about that. He said, you must be born again. You see, it's not about having a religious education. There has to be a transformation of the inner man. A transformation of the heart. And there is only one person who can do that. That is the person of the Holy Spirit who brings about a complete transformation of your life. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things have passed away. And behold, all things have been made new. Are there any new creatures in here this morning? I mean, you can mark the day when your life changed. Is there anybody in here this morning that you can go back and say, that's the day that my life was changed. My life was transformed. Before that day, I was walking in darkness. I was doing my own deeds. I had no interest in God or righteousness. But then I was saved. I was born again. And I was a new man. I spoke different. I saw things differently. I thought about things differently. My appetite changed. My desires changed. Come on, somebody. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And only He can do it. I've told you the story about the man who used to uh, steal railroad ties. Those are the big... The big nails that would hold down the railroad and uh, the, the railroad rails. And so he would steal those. And, and someone had a bright idea. They said, you know what? Now let's, uh, let's reform him. Let's send him to the best university that we can. And, and let's see what education will do for him. And so he did that. He went to, uh, he got his education. And when he left, he started stealing trains. Now he was, he was still a, a thief. But he was a better educated thief. That's the best the world can do. The world can take a sinner and make him a better sinner. But God can take a sinner and make him a saint. And regenerate him. Remake him. Come on somebody. And and make him a new creature in Christ Jesus. There is no hope for that in the government. There is no hope for that in money. There is no hope for that in education. There is no hope for that in having fame or accumulating power. The only place for life transformation 
is the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart and the human life. And when you have experienced that transformation, that new birth, you understand just how glorious it is to now be alive toward God. That before you were separated from God, cut off from God, but now you're alive toward God by the Spirit of the living God who has made that transformation in your life. I want to encourage you this morning and, in, and let you know that if you have not received that transformation that is caused by the Spirit of God in your soul, if you are not saved, you're not born again, today is a day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. So don't look anywhere else. It's, this is the only place where you can receive a changed life. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, how do I receive that? You receive it by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you give Him your heart, He gives you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in and He starts making every change necessary in your life. Number three, the third work of the Holy Spirit is indwelling the believer. Not only does the Holy Spirit come to change your life, but He comes to live inside of you. He comes to indwell you. The Bible tells us that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the believer. But in the New Covenant, He comes within the believer. This is a major shift, a major change from what the Old Testament experienced. Think about that. You today, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, have a greater experience with God than did the prophets of the Old Testament who had the Holy Spirit come upon them. Because you are now the residence of the Spirit of the living God. Jesus gave us this promise. He said in John chapter 14, verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. Say that this morning. If you are a believer, say, The Holy Spirit is in me. Now you have received the Holy Spirit indwelling you because of your salvation experience. Now let's understand this. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. Say amen, somebody. This is called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me put it like this. The Holy Spirit is God. Say that out loud. The Holy Spirit is God. We, we study the Bible. We understand it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not, a, not a, a, a force. He's not a wind. He's not a dove. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it. All right, the Holy Spirit is God. And God has come to dwell on the inside of you. Now, if you study the Bible, you understand that in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That's pretty cool, but that's not as cool as what you have. Then we see that God came down on Mount Sinai, and there was uh, smoke and fire, and, and the, the mountain quaked under the presence of the Lord. That's awesome, but that's not even as awesome as what you have. Then we read the new, uh, we read that Solomon built a temple and God dwelt in the temple. And that was amazing because the glory of God filled the temple such that they could not move around in it uh, because of the thickness of the cloud of the glory of God. And then we see in the new covenant that Jesus came and God was revealed to us in human flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now all of that is wonderful, but God has gone a step further and he has Come to live on the inside of you. He's not just living on a mountain. He's not just living on a temple. He's living inside of the believer. Right now, this morning, you are filled with the presence of the living God. Shout amen, somebody. That ought to give you an idea of just exactly who you are as a believer. You are the dwelling place of God on the earth. And because God dwells within you, then you have access to all of the things that you need. You have his guidance. You have his power. You have his healing. You have his deliverance. You have his strength. Everything that God is. Is available to the believer. And God is nearer to you. Than you think. 
He is not sitting beside you. He is within you. If you are a believer, if you're a a born-again Christian, Jesus Christ has sent the Holy Spirit. He said He will be with you, and He will be in you. Say it again. The Holy Spirit is within me. Now, let's think about that, because here's work number four. The The fourth work of the Holy Spirit is sanctification. Now, because the Holy Spirit is in you, then he starts to do the work of sanctifying you. What does it mean to sanctify? To sanctify means to separate. To make you separate from the world. And it means that the Holy Spirit begins to make us like God in his character. God is holy. He gave us his Holy Spirit. So guess what? What's going to happen in your life if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit? You're going to become holy. Nobody said amen. I said you're going to become holy. The Holy Spirit starts to sanctify your life. Now this is such an important work of the Holy Spirit because all of us need sanctification. Let me, let me say something that, that I hope you'll understand. When you were saved, your spirit was saved. But your body was not saved. Your flesh was not saved. It's being sanctified every single day because we live in a fallen world and we have a a flesh that still longs for the world then we need the holy spirit sanctifying us our thoughts our appetites our desires the bible said that if you live by the flesh you will die but if you live by the spirit you will live The Holy Spirit living inside of you, sanctifying you, purifying your thoughts, purifying your motives, purifying your life so that you can live and enjoy the character of God in your life. No spirit indwelled Christian can ever say, I can't live in holiness. I can't say no to sin. I can't reject evil. Yes, you can. And the reason you can is because you have received the sanctifying Holy Spirit on the inside of your life. Say amen, somebody. Now, this often is a process that's taking place in the believer's life every single day. Until Jesus comes or you're called home, you're going to need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Why, Pastor? Because somebody's going to cut you off on the highway. And you're going to need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Say amen, somebody. Because your kids are going to lose your car keys right before you got to go to church. And you're going to need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Your wife's going to burn the toast toast and the tortillas. And you're going to need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need that Holy Spirit of God bringing your character and training it into alignment with the Holy Spirit, with the holiness of God. Because the Bible says that without holiness, no man will see God. Now, that's a a scary thought without the Holy Spirit. If you have to make yourself holy, if I have to make myself holy, then we're in big trouble. Because we don't have it in us to make ourselves holy. But we have received the Holy Spirit. And He sanctifies us. And so he will do in us what it takes so that we can see God. Say amen, somebody. That's why you and I need to invite the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life every day. So when you have a bad, uh, we have a bad attitude, you get along with God. You say, Lord, I repent for this bad attitude. And I ask you to uh, get Uh, To teach me, to train me, sanctify me, make me like Christ. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to have the attitude of Christ. Because I don't want to live by my flesh. Because if I live by my flesh, I must die. But if I live by the Spirit, I'll live. Come on, somebody. If you live by the Spirit, you'll live. You'll have life. Abundant life. Full life. Peaceful life. Joyful life. And the one who does that is the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the fact. Man tries to sanctify himself. We call that religion. Religion is man trying to make himself godly without God. Without the Holy Spirit. And the best religion can do is that religion can can dress the outer man, but it can't deal with the inner man. Religion will tell you what the dress code is. Religion will tell you that... Now, women shouldn't cut their hair or wear makeup. 
Religion will tell you that, uh, that men shouldn't wear boots to church. These are all things I've heard in my lifetime, all right? These are things that religion will do. It will set external and exterior standards. And what, we've dis- what we discover is that all of those standards cannot possibly make the inner man righteous or sanctify him. There is a person who can do that. He's the Holy Spirit. And where does he begin? He doesn't begin on the outside. He begins on the inside. He starts changing your heart. He starts changing your preferences. He starts changing your appetite. And then you start dressing like he tells you to dress. And you start talking like he tells you to talk. Come on, somebody. Because you are being sanctified by the teacher himself. And religion doesn't have anything to do with it. I said religion doesn't have anything to do with it. You've got to run away from religion, but you've got to run to the Holy Spirit because He's the one that makes you holy as you walk with Him and as He uh, as He purifies your heart and your life on a daily basis. Invite Him to do that. Invite Him to teach you. Invite Him to change you, to transform you, to make you new. He'll do that, but He'll go down below the surface to where the problem is, to where the root of sin is, and He'll deal with that. And that transformation will come forward until you're no longer able to recognize yourself. So let me ask you a quick testimony check. Are you a new man today? Are you a new woman today? Can you say, Pastor, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm sure not where I was. God has been doing a work in my life. Come on. If that's you, celebrate the Holy Spirit this morning. And give Him thanks because of what He's doing in your life. Number five. Work number five. The Holy Spirit endows you with power. The Holy Spirit gives the believer supernatural power. Everyone say supernatural power. He gives you the power that you don't have on your own. Listen, the Holy Spirit will take a liar and make him honest. The Holy Spirit will make a will take a thief and make him a hard worker who's generous. The Holy Spirit will take someone who's lazy and make them someone who's diligent. He gives, he gives you power to do those things which you're not resident within yourself to do. First of all, the Holy Spirit gives you power with God. When you receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, He, he prays through us because we do not know how to pray. We, we don't understand always how we should pray. This is Romans chapter 8. But the Holy Spirit comes and He gives us power with God. Power in prayer. So that when we pray, our prayers are heard and answered in heaven. Now why don't we know how to pray? Well, sometimes we don't know how to pray because we don't know whether or not God should open the door or shut the door. Ever been in that situation? God, should I take job A or job B? Should I go to this school or that school? And many times we don't know how to pray. And I remember uh, hearing the story about one man. He was, being, he was being prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. And on one side they were praying, Lord, fill him up. And on the other side they were praying, Lord, dry him up. And the guy didn't know what in the world was going on. And that's how it is many times that we don't know how to pray. Should I get dried up or filled up? And, uh, and that confusion comes because the flesh is limited in its knowledge. But the Holy Spirit is not limited in his knowledge. In fact, he knows the mind of God. He knows the will of God. He knows what you need to pray for. And so he gives you that power to pray. And he gives you power with God. So that when you pray in the Spirit, you're actually praying directly according to the will of God. If you haven't prayed in the Spirit lately, you've got to start now. Don't go one day without praying in the Spirit because He knows the will of God. And so you have power with God so that when you pray, God hears your prayer and He answers your prayer. He gives you power with God so that when you pray, often you are praying in the Spirit. You're praying about things you don't know about, but which He does know about. You're even praying sometimes about people that you don't know, but which He knows. And he prays through you, the Bible says, with words that are, uh, uh, that, with utterances that are too deep for words. And that, that power in prayer is, is like a, uh, uh, one of the mightiest weapons in the hands of any general. 
It has been given to you, the footman and the foot soldier. And God has said to you, you have access to the throne room of the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit praying through you. And when you pray in that way, the Holy Spirit will give you revelation and insight and knowledge about things that are going on in your world that you don't know about. I told you last week about how our mother prayed. And the Holy Spirit revealed to us that she needed to pray because we were in the moment of crisis. We were on the flooded Amazon River and needed divine intervention. I heard another man who prayed, his mother prayed and God told him the name and the phone number of the bar he was in. You just imagine getting a call from your mama in the bar you're in. And, and she said, the Holy Spirit told me where you were. If that doesn't put the fear of God in you, there might not be anything to scare you enough. But here, here's what I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit will give you insight, understanding, and information that you don't have on your own. Say amen, somebody. I'm talking about supernatural power. I said supernatural power. This is something outside of what you can do. Inside, outside of your ability, outside of your strength. One day I was preaching in Pasadena, Texas. That day, one of the deacons of the church had his daughter uh, taken hostage. And the police got involved. They were able to rescue her. And this man had a past life in which uh, he was a part of uh, organized crime. And so he called some of his old buddies. And he said, I want you to put a hit on this uh, individual that, that did this to my daughter. Now, this is a church deacon. So here's why I'm telling you that you need the Holy Spirit. Say amen, somebody. Because just being a deacon or being a member of a church doesn't guarantee that you've had a new birth. It doesn't guarantee you've had a transformation. Not only was he a deacon, but he was sitting in the parking lot of the church. And right before church, all of these things are going on. When he walks in, he walks in late to the service, I'm preaching. I don't know what he's doing or what's going on. I have no idea about any of those circumstances. But while I'm preaching, I just, I said these words. I said, you are about to make a deal with the devil. And you need to stop. And I don't know why I said that. It must have been part of the sermon. But the Holy Spirit was speaking to that man. And I remember seeing him walk in and right, walk right back out when I said that. And he said later that he went and he canceled the entire thing that he had been arranging because he was come under conviction by the Holy Spirit. Can I just tell you, I didn't know that. But the Holy Spirit will give you supernatural power. He'll give you power and information that you do not have on your own. Say amen, somebody. You need the Holy Ghost. I said you need the Holy Ghost. You say, why do I need the Holy Ghost? Well, because Jesus needed the Holy Ghost. Jesus was, was filled with the power of the Spirit at his baptism. And everything he did in his ministry was by the power of the Spirit. So if Jesus needed the Holy Ghost, and he was the holiest man who ever lived, then guess what, Kingsway? We need the Holy Ghost, and we have the Holy Ghost. If we will receive him by faith, he'll give you supernatural power. Number six, the Holy Spirit will produce fruit in your life. Jesus said in John 15 that the believer will bear fruit. You bearing fruit is not a matter of suggestion. It's not a matter of, I hope so, maybe so, will so. You bearing fruit is God's absolute desire and plan for your life. Jesus said the believer will bear fruit. He said he'll bear good fruit. Everyone say good fruit. And much fruit. So you're supposed to bear fruit. You're supposed to bear good fruit. And much fruit. That means that you don't just love on Valentine's Day. That means you love every day. You bear the fruit of love every day. And many times a day. Come on somebody. You don't only forgive once or twice a month. But every day. And often many times a day. That is the Holy Spirit's product in your life. Go please to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to read with me the fruit of the Spirit. Now here's what, here's what we need to understand. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the product of the Spirit of God working in our spirit. Now the fruit I'm going to read to you is not no, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of your 
spirit having been born again. Your inner man begins to bear this fruit. And when your inner man has been trained and sanctified and is, is being indwelled by the Spirit of God, you, your spirit now begins to produce fruit. Your inner man begins to bear fruit. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life. Love. This is Gen, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. Listen, God wants you to bear fruit. And he wants you to bear good fruit. You say, what's good fruit? This is good fruit right here. The kind of fruit against there is no law. And then he says he wants you to bear a lot of it. What's this fruit going to be like? Love. I mentioned earlier, you're going to love out of your inner man. Genuinely. Because of the fact that the love of God has, has born a, brought about a change in your life. There's going to be joy in your spirit. Joy in every season of life. Because of the working of the Spirit of God in your spirit. There's going to be a peace. There are people that are quarrelsome. They're spoiling for a fight. They have a chip on their shoulder. They're just waiting for somebody to start a fight with them. And some of those types of people are in here this morning. I'm not mentioning any names, all right? I'm just telling you that uh, I've seen your Facebook posts, all right? And they're just quarrelsome. But God says that you need to be a peacemaker and look for peace. Instead of, instead of adding fuel to the fire, instead of making matters worse, instead of adding to the problem, you become the problem solver and the peacemaker. And you can do that because of the Spirit of God bringing transformation in your spirit. And bringing peace into the circumstances of your life. Patience. Someone said, Lord, I want patience and I need it now. And that's how a lot of people are. They want it now. They've got to have it now. But God's word says that the patriarchs receive the things promised through faith and patience. The Christian life requires patience. And this is the fruit of the spirit bearing in our spirit, in our life. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you a kind person? Could you be kinder? Are you kind at work? Are you kind to your customers, but not kind to your wife? Not kind to your children? God wants you to bear fruit. And he wants you to bear good fruit. And a lot of it. Say amen, somebody. This starts, this starts at home. You're showing kindness to the people you love. To the people that God has given you in your life. To fill your life with joy. Faithfulness. Are you faithful? Are you faithful to God? Are you faithful to your family? This is the result of the Spirit of God transforming your human spirit. And making you fruitful in this area of faithfulness. So that you, you are faithful to your church. And you're faithful with your tithe and offering. And you're faithful to your commitments. And you're at work on time. And you are faithful in the work that you do even when no one's watching. These are all fruits of the Spirit. And, and you say, well, uh, no one is watching. Then what difference does it make? God is watching. And He desires that you bear much fruit. Because Jesus said, when you bear fruit, you'll glorify His Father who is in heaven. God gets glory out of your fruitful life. And my fruitful life. So I, I'm, I'm standing in a fruit stand this morning. I see all this good fruit. And you know, the Holy Spirit comes through and he takes out all the bad apples. The thoughts that he doesn't want in your life. The ideas that are not pleasing to him, he'll just take them out. And let me just encourage you, when you see, when you see some bad apples in the life of your family, maybe some ideas that don't please you or some mindsets that don't please you, our instant reaction is to go and fix it, right? Just to bring out a scalpel and surgically remove that bad idea from somebody's mind. Don't do that. Just let the Holy Spirit handle it. Just start praying for them and, and ask the Holy Spirit to deal with that, to shine light on that. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit will do a whole lot better job. And when he does it, when he brings light to that situation, it will bring a genuine transformation of that person's heart. You can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. And if you try to be, you're going to wear them out. Husbands, you can't be the Holy Spirit for your wife. 
Nobody said amen. And wives, you can't be the Holy Spirit for your husband. And you can't be the Holy Spirit parents for your children. You have to be their parent. But the Holy Spirit is with them everywhere they go. And so when you pray for them, pray that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, they will bring light, they will bring transformation to their mind, because when you try to do it, they're going to resent you. If a husband tries to be the Holy Spirit for his wife, she'll resent him. If the wife tries to be the Holy Spirit for her husband, he'll resent her. If parents try to be the Holy Spirit for their children, they'll resent the parents. But there is a convictor in the house, and he knows how to deal with the issues of the heart. And if you will let it to him, he will bring about fruit. Come on, somebody. And it'll be good fruit, and it'll be much fruit. And this will bring glory to God. Finally, the Holy Spirit, number seven, produces or gives gifts to the church. This is the seventh work of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, I am gifted. I want you to notice something. The fruit of the Spirit is for everyone. And everyone can bear all the fruit. All right, so you can't say, well, I'm a very loving person, but I'm not very faithful. No, the fruit of the Spirit is born all of it in the same life. But the gifts of the Spirit are distributed according to the will of God. So although you and I are to bear all the same fruit, we don't all have the same gifts. Some people have the gift or calling by God to preach. Others do not. Some have been gifted with healing and miracles. Others have been gifted with the gifts of administration or with leadership. And nobody has all the gifts. You say, Pastor, I... I want to have all the gifts. You will not have all the gifts. Why? Because if you have all the gifts, you don't need me. And if I have all the gifts, I don't need you. But because you have gifts that I don't have, I need you. And because I have gifts that you don't have, you need me. The Bible says we're a body. And not every member of the body does the same thing. Your hand is not your foot. And your eyes are not your ears. Each member has a unique gift. A function without which everyone else suffers. And so, I want to encourage you this morning to activate the gifts of God that are in your life. Because every person in here has a gift. Every person in here has something to contribute to the life of the, of the body of Christ and to Kingsway Church. Listen, if everybody were a preacher, if all of us in here were preachers, who would, who would get the light bill paid? Who would make sure the grass is mowed? Who would make sure that the pews are disinfected? If all of us in here were disinfectors and cleaners and this would be the shiniest church ever and no word, no worship, no teaching. You understand? Everyone has a role to play. God gives some a gift that they can, they can teach children and they're wonderful at dealing with children. And other people are not very good with children at all, but they know how to count. They know how to keep things on time. They know how to run a schedule. All of the gifts are essential to the function of the body of Christ. And without your gift, we all suffer. Without your gift, we all go without. And so you have to bring your gift and use it for the glory of God. You have to use your gift to build the kingdom of God. Now the Bible says that he gave to each one according as he purposed, according as he willed. So I want to encourage you, don't be jealous of other people's gifts. Be be joyful about the gifts you have. And maybe there's a gift you have that you haven't discovered yet. And you've got to exercise that gift. Paul told Timothy, Timothy was a pastor. He was already a leader in the church, but Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift of God. It's like that old Kool-Aid. You remember Kool-Aid back in the 80s and the 90s when the, 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 the it just sat there for a while and you would see the... The color separate and the sugar 
and the water would separate. And many people are like that. They're an old pitcher of Kool-Aid. Hasn't been stirred up in a long time. And God said, stir up the gift. Stir up the spirit within you. Because everything that's in you is needed for the body of Christ. And if you will use your gift, you're going to be a blessing to somebody else. How many of you want to be a blessing? The Holy Spirit within you has given you the power to be a blessing to somebody else. You have to take that gift and employ it for the glory of God. Let's stand together this morning. Do you know that on the day that Jesus ascended, 500 people saw him go into heaven? How many? 500 people saw Jesus go into heaven. What did he say? He said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit has been received. They waited 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, only 120 were left waiting. Out of 500 people, only 120 waited. Will you wait? Will you wait on God? You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Simply this. Making yourself available for the work and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or where you say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for gifts. And I don't have time for fruit. I just gotta, I just gotta do what I can and get as much of God as possible, but I've got my own life to live. Or will you be one of those people? And will we be one of those churches that says, God, here we are. Fill us to overflow because we want all that you have for us. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we want to do all that the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. If that's your heart's desire this morning to say, God, I want to be available to you. I don't want to spend my life living outside of the supernatural power of God. I want to live my life In the fullness of your spirit. I want you to come into this altar this morning. And just make yourself available for the Holy Spirit. To pour something into you this this day that you need. For this week. For this month. For this year. Jesus said if any man thirsts let him come. So you have to come. Make that decision. I'm going to be available to the Holy Spirit. Because I want his power in my life. I want his work in my life. I want him affecting change in my life.